My uh, daughter is afraid of the dark. Uh, that's pretty typical for her little kids, but, but for whatever reason, she's really, really afraid of it to the point that we have to have night lights. Or, uh, as in the case right now, she was playing with her nightlight, the light broke. I just haven't gotten over to Westlake to buy another bulb yet. Uh, so we leave on the bathroom light for her instead. Like, for whatever reason, she has this fear. Now, my youngest son is the complete opposite. Uh, if he has any light, he doesn't go to sleep. All right, so we black out his room and put him down and let him go to sleep by himself. So they're completely opposites in that. But we all understand light, right, and the importance of it. All right, it's important that we have light in our life so that we can see uh, what we are doing. And the passage that we're going to read today talks about light uh, and the importance of it. We're going to be in Psalm uh, 119, verses 105 to 112. Uh, this is wrapping up our series that we've been studying in Psalm 119 over the last eight weeks. Uh, if you have your bulletins inside them, there's a sermon notes. Uh, and on the bottom of that, it's just kind of a recap uh, of the various sections that we have studied, just so you can look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's what we uh, learned about. All right. So here's what he says, uh, starting uh, in verse 105. It says, your word is a lamp on for my feet and a light on my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth, and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are my joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decree to the very end. Uh, so the psalm starts off with this idea of light, right? Uh, and it's this idea of, of having guidance uh, in what we do. Uh, light is very important. We, we are here today because of light, all right? Uh, whether it's the sunshine or the lights uh, in the church building itself. Some of you may have driven uh, and needed the lights on your car in order to see the road. Uh, maybe you haven't uh, done that yet, but we all know the importance of when it gets dark, having your lights on, right? right everything that we do, we do uh, for the most part in light. We go to work. Uh, most of us do it during the day, some at night, but even at night we have lights in the buildings that we use. Right, we we uh, just have a lot of necessity for light when there is a lack of light, it can get very eerie and creepy. Uh, I remember in Boy Scouts uh, having to not use our flashlights. Our uh, scoutmaster was, was extremely old school. Uh, he had been a scoutmaster for like 50 years or something like that. And so when we went uh, on camping trips and we were just walking the path from, from one campsite to the next, he expected us not all to have our flashlights on. In fact, he wanted us to walk by the stars in the moonlight if the moon was out. All right, and so that can be kind of creepy in the middle of woods, especially in a place that you didn't necessarily know very well uh, to, to do that, right? Uh, we need light, and, and sometimes, sometimes it's, it's one of those things that if we know a place really well, it's okay that we don't have light, right? 
Right? You wake up in the middle of night and you have to use the restroom and you usually don't wake up, turn on the lights to see, right? You just walk your path unless, and it's usually okay, unless your child has suddenly moved a chair or left his Legos out and then it's a minefield. Right? For the most part, we understand that if we've been there, we can kind of navigate in the dark, uh, but if something has changed or if we're in an unfamiliar place, we need light to see. Right? Our life is full of darkness. And there's a lot of things in life where we really don't know where the next step is going to be. I, whatever, whatever the situation is, there's lots of times where, where we are left wondering what we should do. Where should our next step be? Maybe it's in our homes and our families. Maybe it's in our jobs and we're not sure uh, what is the right path to take. Maybe it's even uh, in our relationships with our neighbors. And we're left in this place where we're not sure what is right and what is wrong and where we should go. And we're left in a lot of confusion. And I think this is where the psalmist understands the most, that, that there is a time in life where you need to know and have guidance. And the guidance that the psalmist believes is the word of God for us. I think what the psalmist says here is basically this, is that God's word guides us in our lives. And he says that by starting off here in verse 105 with your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In Boy Scouts, when we we're walking that path that we really didn't know, the moment of clarity for us was when the scoutmaster said, OK, you can turn on your lights now. And we turned on our flashlight and we see that it, had we kept going in the way that we would have been going, we would have either fallen in that hole that the rain had made or we would have tripped over uh, the tree stumps that were in the path. Right? Clarity is what is given when light shines in the dark. And God's word does that for us. Right? It gives clarity in these moments where we're not sure what is the next thing that we are to do. And if we turn to it and use it as a light, it will show us what that way is. Uh, there are four times, I think, that the psalmist recognizes that we need God's guidance in our lives. All right, the first one is this, when we, uh, God's light is going to guide us when we confirm to obey his word. Uh, in verse 106, he says, I have taken an oath and confirm it. And, and this is a, a idea of swearing and confirming and, and, and this understanding that we are going to obey. This, what he's sworn there in that second part is that I will follow your righteous laws. See, God expects obedience from his children. Right? God didn't just set you free from sin and say, go do whatever you want to do. Right? God said, no, obey. Jesus said at the very end of his life, right, go and make disciples doing two things, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. We need to obey, and the psalmist says that he has resolve for obedience. That's how he uses these two words. Uh, the word for oath uh, is a typical word that he's sworn, he's promised to do something. The word for confirm is the unique word. It's a special event. It's a, it's a word that's often used in the Old Testament of when God came to the Israelites and told them what he had already promised them. It happens all the time. The Israelites turn away from God, and God comes to them and says, Listen, I have promised to be your God. I've made this covenant. 
And this reconfirming of what God has done is this idea of confirming that the psalmist use here. Have you ever forgotten a promise? Every once in a while I forget promises I make to my children. Uh, and part of the reason is we have five children, and every once in a while I'll go on an errand. Uh, and as I go on an errand, I typically try to take one or two of my children so that my wife can have a minor break. All right, And so I will ask them who wants to go with me. And because there's five of them, sometimes they will fight over who gets to go with dad. And so I'll say, okay, well, I'll take Micah this time and Hadassah, you get to go next time. But when next time comes, I sometimes forget that I had promised that to Hadassah. But you know who hasn't forgotten? Hadassah hasn't forgotten. That's right. All right, they're very good at remembering what you say, just so you know. All right, and, and, and so it, when she says, wait, Dad, you said I can go next. And me saying, oh, you're right, I did say that, let's go. Me saying that is that idea of confirming what I'd already promised. And that's what it is here. The psalmist is saying, I have not only f- sworn to follow you, God, but I will swear again and again and again that I will not give up on them. How resolute are we in obeying the word of God? See, I think when we are in these situations where we don't know what's next to do, I think once we have in our lives decide I am going to obey and I'm going to follow and no matter what happens I'm going to continue to follow God's word then that's when God gives clarity in our lives Uh, in sports uh, they have this thing called muscle memory someone doesn't just randomly come up to bat in the major leagues and and for the very first time and hit a home run uh, just because he is that awesome It's because he's been in the batting cage practicing over and over and over again to the point that that he's able to swing without even really thinking about it. His muscles know what to do. And in the same way, we have to be that way as Christians. We have to obey God over and over and over again and get muscle memory so that when these situations pop up in our lives where we don't know which way we should go next, it will be a muscle memory thing. I'm going to follow God. And if we're honestly seeking to obey God in our lives, then he will show us, he will shine that flashlight for us to show us where to go next in those dark moments of our lives. We need to confirm to obey God. The second time that that the psalmist says that we need to obey is when uh, we are in the middle of suffering. In verses uh, uh, 107, 109, and 110, he gives three different areas of life that suffering occurs. Now, suffering is those moments in lives where, where we really need help the most. When we are suffering, we need people to come alongside us because we cannot stand by ourselves. And those are when the darkest moments of our lives are upon us. And in the middle of this, We often are left asking this question, God, why are you doing this to me? Or maybe we ask, God, why have you allowed this? Suffering comes in a lot of different ways, and not many people enjoy suffering. In fact, when we suffer, we tend to want to change. 
We tend to want to be people that we necessarily are not because we want to get out of the suffering, and suffering usually causes us to move into a different direction. The psalmist here says, says three different things cause him to suffer. In verse 107, uh, he uses this word that is translated as suffering. And there's three different Hebrew words that are often used in this idea of suffering. And they all carry it with a different nuance. Uh, the first one carries with it a nuance of restriction or binding, like someone has enslaved you almost. Uh, the second one is, is talking about the emotional distress that comes upon you whenever you are suffering. And the third one, the one that is used here, uh, deals with the pain and the submission that suffering often brings with it. Uh, We could say it this way. It's this idea of humbling you. Uh, When you suffer in some places, you, you get to this place where you realize you're not as good as you thought you were. Oftentimes it leaves us with this question, right? I never thought I could be this person. I thought this type of suffering happens to that person over there or her over there. I never thought I would have to face it myself. And so that's the idea of suffering in this verse. It's this idea of humbling us and helping us to realize, you know what? We're not all that. In verse 109, he, he uses an idiom. Uh, and, and the problem with idioms is, is we try to translate it into English. Uh, and unfortunately, the English idiom doesn't correlate with the Hebrew idiom. You know, when we say, I take my hands in my own life, we think that we're doing something dangerous that could cause us to die, right? But that's not really the Hebrew idea behind this. And the Hebrew idea behind this is is the psalmist realizes that his life is short and he's offering himself up to death. And and so what he's saying here is this, is that, that no matter what suffering comes upon me, even if it's going to lead me to die, I am not going to change. The second part of that verse in 109 is, I will not forget your law. And it's the idea of obedience again. He says, even though I may die tomorrow because of my stance on following God's word, I will not change. And so he offers himself up. Sometimes suffering feels that way. Where we, we are feeling like we have to change in order to please and get rid of the suffering But whenever that moment comes, we need to not forget God's law and stay firm. In verse 110, we get this third idea of suffering. And it's the idea of other people causing us harm. Sometimes we suffer because of our own sins, the things that we've done, and the consequences of them. Sometimes we suffer because the world is just a broken place. But sometimes we suffer because people willfully cause us to suffer and these are the people that the bible calls wicked and he says that the wicked here have set a snare for me a trap trying to get me caught and in in the midst of that he says he will fight the wickedness of these people with faithfulness to god how do we respond to suffering the psalmist shows us three different ways we respond to. He says that he cries out to God, restore my life. He says, I will not forget your laws. He says, I will obey. When we suffer, we need not to forget 
the obedience that we have confirmed and sworn that we will follow. And even in the midst of suffering, as we continue to obey God, as we do not change from the path that we have already started on, God will shine a light into our lives. And he will show us the next step. Where to go, even in the midst of suffering. So don't falter in obedience, even when things are crumbling around you. Don't give up. So God's light guides us when we obey. It guides us in the midst of suffering. And it also guides us when we worship willingly. Uh, Verse 108 talks about this idea in the midst of this suffering passage. He says that he cries out to God and he says, God, please accept my praise. In the Old Testament, there's a number of different sacrifices and words for the sacrifices. And depending on what you had done uh, and how severe it was, depending on what type of sacrifice you brought to God. Uh, The word here for praise here is a term for sacrifice. But it's a little bit different. Whereas everything other sacrifices is as a part of what you have done in response to that This one, this sacrifice here, is something you do because of who God is rather than what you've done. It's recognizing that God is a great God, that God has provided for you, that God has done miraculous things in your lives, and you willfully give this sacrifice up to God. It's thankfulness for Him. And when it comes to it, this type of sacrifice is all about attitude. All right, there's a difference between having to do something and wanting to do something. I mean, we, we understand this concept. There's a lot of things in our lives that we have to do compared to what we want to do. Maybe work is a have to for you. You have to go to work rather than being out in the tree hunting, right? Maybe it's property taxes. You don't want to pay property taxes, but you have to, right? Maybe it's going to the license bureau. You don't usually want to go there unless you're 16, then it's a want, right? All right, But most times you have to go there and, and wait the line. There's a lot of things in life that we have to do compared to what we want to do. And when it comes to worshiping God, we have to examine ourselves and decide, am I doing this because I have to? Or because I want to. Because the idea in this passage and this idea of God guiding our lives and showing us the right path to go deals with our attitude on worship of him. Do we show up on Sunday morning because we have to? Or do we come because we want to? Really, all of this passage deals with this attitude issue. Are we obeying God because we have to obey him, or are we obeying God because we want to obey him? He says here in verse 108 that that he praises God with his mouth, and he asks God to teach him. And if our attitude is we are willfully worshiping God with our mouths and praising him, the result will be that God will teach us his path. 
God wants to show us where to go next. And God doesn't want to hide that fact from us. He wants to teach us what is right, and it begins with our attitude on things. My wife, every once in a while, will ask me to look for something uh, in the kitchen, wherever. And I'll, so I'll go in there, and I'll look, and I'll look, and I'll look, and I'll be like, I can't find this. And even though she'll walk it right in and say, it's right there in front of you. And the difference, I think, in that is my attitude. I don't really want to be in the kitchen looking for this thing. I want her to be in it looking for it for herself, right? All right? And so I think it's some of that. I think some of it's just being a guy. All right, but that's besides the point, right? It's an attitude thing. And I think that, that when we change our attitudes and we realize we're doing this because we want to worship this beautiful and amazing God that has done so many marvelous things in our lives, then we'll begin to change and we'll begin to see that light more clearly that God is showing us. So God guides us when we obey. He guides us in the midst of suffering. He guides us when we worship him willfully. The final thing the psalmist says is that he guides us when we rejoice in his word. Uh, in verse uh, one eleven, he says, the statutes are my heritage forever. Uh, he, he uses this word heritage is the same word that we use for inheritance. And he says that it's something special to him because it's been passed down from generation to the next. Do you have something in your house that's a family heirloom? Something that's special to you, not because it's worth anything, but simply because your granddad gave it to you. I have a quilt my grandma made me when I went off to college. And it's one of the few things that I have for my grandma after she passed away. And so one of the few things that reminds me of her. And I love my grandma. And that quilt's not very special. It's starting to tear in little places here and there. All right, but it's special to me to the point that I told my kids, you're not allowed to touch it anymore. It's mine. And it doesn't have value other than my grandma made it. And this is how the word of God needs to be in our lives. The psalmist says, this word is a heritage to me and I rejoice in it. He finds joy in the words of God. And it's because it's this flashlight shining on his path and it's a lamp unto his feet. It guides him in the darkness. And in our lives, we need to treasure the word of God as much as we treasure our family heirlooms. And we need to take it and, and treat it as a heritage that we get to pass on to our children and our children's children so that they too can see the value that this light provides in their lives. Ultimately, I think, we need to resolve to set our hearts on God's word. I think verse 112 is a fitting end to our series here. It says, my heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. In the sections of Psalm 119 that we've read and the sections that we haven't read, in all of them, the word of God stands in the forefront. All of them are discussing how the word of God plays in the lives of God's people and what it should do for us and how we should treat it and how we should honor it. 
Here he says we need to set it before our hearts. And what he's saying there is we need to go after it. We need to follow it. We need to put it in front of us and walk the path that it lights for us. We need to study it. We need to learn it. We need to use it as a guide. Because when we do those things, God's light shines as a blessing, as a way of showing us the right way, even in the midst of darkness. So I have a final challenge for you to to kind of wrap up this series. Uh, In your bulletins, there should be a a little sheet here that says uh, a Bible challenge, Kentucky Road Bible challenge. What I think that we need to do together is, is confirm our willingness to learn and to meditate on God's word. So over the rest of this year, I want to challenge you to to read through these passages with me, to just look at them and and study them and meditate them. And and the method I want you guys to try to use, if you don't already have one, is is what's called the HEAR method. And on the back sheet, it kind of explains it. Uh, HEAR stands for four different parts of Bible study. The first one is simply highlighting. And so you take a passage that you're reading, uh, whether it's a chapter or two chapters, and you find one or two verses to highlight that stood out to you for whatever reason. Uh, my example is from John 1.18 uh, that I read a couple weeks ago, verses 37 through 38, uh, were the passages that stood out to me and said this. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. So you just highlight, you just recopy those words. Buy a journal, do something to write these words down. Highlight them in your Bible if you need to. And the, the second one is E, explain. And you take that verse that you've just, you explain it in its context. What's going on? Why did these people say these things? That type of thing. And so for me, uh, in that John 18 passage, I said in his discussion with Pilate, Jesus explains one of the reasons he came to the world. It was to testify the truth. And Pilate retorts, what is truth? For Pilate, it seems he was of the opinion that truth is either hard to achieve or impossible to know. Then the next thing you do is you apply it. So now that you've highlighted a passage and you've explained it in its context, you apply it to your lives. What does this verse mean for me today? For me today, it said, not all in this world are willing to hear the truth. Jesus came to testify, but not many have listened to his witness. In my life, I need to seek out his truth more. I need to listen to his voice that prompts me to follow his path laid before me. And then the last thing you do is respond to it, either through prayer or through an initiative. I did a little prayer. You can read it uh, in that. It's a very simple thing. It takes five minutes, ten minutes, depending on how fast you read. And it's very, very easy to do this. And I would encourage you over the next 10 weeks to take these passages and to read them together. Because the more we read, the more we journal, the more we meditate on God's word, and not only what it looks like in its passage context, but also what it looks like in my life, the more and more we will turn and look ourselves in the mirror and see, not us, but Jesus. So I encourage you, don't just 
throw this series aside. Don't just throw Psalm 119 aside and say, you know what, that was good, but it doesn't mean anything now. Instead, take this challenge to heart. Read God's word. Set your heart before it. Allow it to be that light onto your path. Allow it to guide your steps. And the only way you can do that is if you're in the word of God. Treasuring it. Meditating on it. So let's do this challenge together. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come before you in amazement at this word that you have given us, this word that lights our path, this word that guides our steps. I just pray, God, that we will set our hearts on it, that we will not turn aside from what you've written, but that we will follow wherever you lead. Lord, we're in, when we're in the midst of darkness, show us the right way to go. Show us the next step we need to take. Help us to follow you and give us the strength to obey you no matter what is going on. We ask this in your name. Amen.